Our Father, what a privilege it is to be able to come into your presence today to worship you. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for how they have led us to worship you and to remember that you're a God who simply will not let us go. We honor you for your love, your mercy, your grace, Lord Jesus, for the work that you accomplished so perfectly for us. And uh, we thank you now that, Holy Spirit, as we look into the word, we can ask you to open it up to us. So we pray for the one who teaches, that you would forgive him his sins. And Lord, today, use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. We commit our time to you as we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, the book of Philippians, we've given a, a series titled to Grace on Fire. And really, the book of Philippians is that. Even though the word grace is only found three times in the entire book, it's mentioned twice uh, in the first in the text that we're going to look at today. And it really permeates the whole book, the grace of the gospel, how it radically transforms our, our lives. Let's take a look at Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. That's our text today. Uh, I'll read it, and then we'll talk about it. It starts out this way, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's holy word. A few weeks ago, I finished the book and saw the movie 12 Strong. Anybody see that movie? Anybody here? A couple, a couple of ladies. In the first service, nobody put their hands up. They didn't want to admit that they'd gone to a movie. I don't know. But uh, uh, this is an incredible story, Uh, an incredible story to read and to watch 12 Strong. What's it about? It's about the first special forces uh, servicemen who were inserted into Afghanistan in October, right after 9-11. Right after 9-11, in October, they were there. Just recently declassified. Most of us didn't know about this story. Uh, They were put in. Our Secretary of Defense at the time said, we got to get somebody in there. And they were in there by mid-October. And when they landed, they had to immediately uh, ride horses to, in other words, to conduct battle out in the Afghanistan mountains and hillsides. They had to ride horses. Only one had ever ridden a horse before, and not a, the rest of them didn't like horses at all. But they're special forces, and they do what they got to do. Twelve strong. It's an amazing story. Did I say that? It's an amazing story, and you need to go see that story. But the, these twelve strong remind me of the original twelve strong. 
the disciples of Jesus Christ. And you just had the mission festival here talking about uh, missions uh, far away and missions near. And, and what an amazing thing is, because when we read a story like this, it makes your, it makes your blood boil and say, I want to do something. I want to do something for my country. And when you hear about what's going on in missions around the world and locally, it makes you say, I want to do something. What, what was it that motivated these servicemen to do this for our, our country? Patriotism. What, what was it that motivated the original disciples to go out and plant all those churches and do all those things? To plant churches in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world for the Apostle Paul to go to Philippi, which was the first church in Europe, and to plant a church, to start a church right there. What was it? It was a gospel. It was a gospel of grace. The history of the Christian church could be said, honestly, to be the history of grace on fire. Disciples are people who understand the grace of Jesus Christ, and it's a burn inside of them. It does something inside of them. It keeps them moving, keeps us active, changes us from the inside out. And that's what disciples do. They make a difference. Orangewood's purpose, making disciples to advance Christ's kingdom. That's what it's about. That's what grace does. And as I think about grace and I think about us, uh, those of us who worship on a regular basis, and of course we're spiritual, truly redeemed spiritual because we're Presbyterians and we understand the true gospel, correct? (laughs) But we hear about grace so much that sometimes grace loses its power. It loses its force. It, it, it just, it's, it's in one of the categories of soteriology. Grace is uh, what Jesus did for us. It's God's unmerited favor. I know, I know, but, it, but grace is an attribute of the God of the universe. So we think of God's holiness and omnipotence and omniscience. As we think of grace, it's his favor that is given to us based on Jesus Christ. Grace is a part of the love that will not let us go. Powerful. Uh, it's, it's, it's that fire that burns deep. I love the chorus that says, God's love is fierce. That appeals to me as a man. I love the reality that God loves me that way. Guys, grace is receiving what we don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that we deserve the opposite. Grace is what shaped the Philippians into the church that they were. It's it's what, what changes us, what builds us. It's what's animated Orangewood for all of these years. It's what animates your pastors and your staff. Grace that will not let us go. Love that will not let us go. So what I want to do as I unpack these verses for us this morning is just take a little bit of time. I want to tell you a a, a story that happened to me that helped illustrate grace more. And then I want to talk about how grace produces deep comfort and then how grace energizes character and action from these verses that we just read. So I got to tell you this story. And uh, it really is, to be completely accurate, it was a few years ago when my first grandchild was born. We have, f- uh, we have four grandchildren now, one on the way. I know I don't look uh, old enough to have grandchildren, but we do. Our, our first grandchild is Maggie, and she, all my grandkids are better than yours. I just want you to know that up front. <laughs> But Maggie was just born, and I, 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 I had to get a little Maggie time. I hadn't had any Maggie time. I was going to speak in South Florida to a bunch of PCA elders 
who wanted to know, how do we disciple the guys in our church? So, so I was going to go down and meet them uh, down in South Florida, and, uh, so I, but I had to get some Maggie time. So I went by my son's house and spent time with Maggie and then got on the road, and I was late. So I'm going down I-95 in my F-150, flying, flying. It's my only sin. I was, I mean, I was singing to audio adrenaline. That ought to kept that account for something. I was singing to audio adrenaline. I was driving fast. I was thinking about what I was going to say to those elders. And I came over the rise, uh, and there was a guy squatted behind one of those little deals. And I could just read his lips, pull that sucker over. <laughs> so I, and as soon as I came over the hill, it was the biggest dragnet I've ever seen. I mean, there, I counted. There were at least 15, maybe 20 cop cars out there, county, municipalities, state patrol, everything. And so I just waited until I got pulled over, and they pulled me over to the side. This guy with no neck comes to my uh, window, and uh, he says, may I see your license? I say, yes, sir. It's in this pouch right here, my wallet right next to my gun. I know. I have a permit. He calls for backup. And then a couple minutes later, he says, would you please step out? So I step out. I give him the proper information. And then he comes back a little while later and he goes, sir, did I tell you guys it was a construction zone? <laughs> he says, sir, today we are ticketing everybody going 90 miles an hour. You were going 89. And he gave me a warning. Have you ever heard of that? Kids, don't try this at home. Listen. Listen, the reality is, is that was grace and mercy. It was flip sides of the, both, of the same coin. Mercy is withholding what you deserve. What I deserve was jail and a, the $500 fine. Grace is getting what you, you don't deserve, and that is absolute freedom. And the gospel is bigger than what I got. We... We have such a difficult time grasping grace because we have such a difficult time grasping the holiness of God and the work of Christ on our behalf. But grace is what affected the Philippians. It's what affects us, and it ought to set us free. First of all, I want you to note from this text what grace ought to do, what grace did for the Philippians. What grace can do for us is that it could produce deep comfort to us as Christians. How does Paul start out? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You see, when you understand the grace of God in Christ, it turns you into a servant, a doulos. That's what Paul, that's how he identified himself. Notice, he does not identify himself as the apostle. To the Philippians, he doesn't say, Paul, an apostle. He, he, there's only three other letters where he doesn't use that. He doesn't use his authority. To the first and second Thessalonians, in those two letters, he says, he doesn't use the word apostle. To Philemon, he says, I'm a prisoner, because he is a prisoner right now as he writes this. He's in a Roman prisoner, a Roman prison, maybe chained to a Roman guard as we think he is. And, and, and he's written Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He's in prison, and he's a prisoner. And as he thinks of the Philippians, he, he relates to them on the level of a servant. I'm a doulos. I'm a servant. I'm a willing servant of Jesus Christ. Grace does that to you. When do you, you understand all that God has done for you in Christ, it makes you want to respond. It makes you want to. It's in the Old Testament. The idea of this servant who had a great master 
And when he was set free, he said, I don't want to go free. And he put his, he put the lobe of his ear on a deer, uh, doorpost and they poked a hole through it, put an earring in there. And he says, I'm here. I'm yours. I'm your servant. Made Paul into a servant with, as he understood the unconditional favor of the God of the universe. It made, it made him a servant because he understood a new identity. What grace does also is it transforms your identity at the very core of who you are as a Christian. I speak to men a lot, and I wear this ring. It's a, it's a United States Marine Corps ring. Any Marines here? No, not in the first. Ah, ah there we go. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Well, we, we got a lot of branches of service here, so thank you for all of your service. Uh, but as I, re, I wear this Marine Corps ring, I, I, I got to tell you, I found it in my father's effects when he passed away several years ago. And, uh, the, the, but the fact of the matter is, my father was in the Army. So I have no idea how he got this ring. Some of my friends say things like, oh, he gambled for it. <laughs> thank you. I have no idea. But what it does is it's symbolic to me of the reality that I, I didn't know much about my dad, and my dad didn't really spend time much developing me. And so I grew up as a young man with a father wound. But I know I'm not the only one. I, I know that many men are raised with a father wound, for a father that did things that they shouldn't have done or were simply absent. But many women have the same kind of idea. A father hunger, a father wound, father wound, a mother wound. We have these wounds. But the father wound is a powerful wound because what we do is we tend to transfer to God the Father what we experience on an earthly level. And that shapes our identity. If you were raised in a performance-oriented home, then you're going to try to be in a performance-oriented person to earn your identity, to earn your worth, to earn anything. And that's what it was for me until, well, the gospel began to sink in a little bit more. I've struggled with that, but I've come to understand that I am the deeply beloved son of the Most High God. And that's my core identity that will never change. And for those of you who understand the gospel, you understand that the, your core identity now in Christ is that you are a deeply beloved and redeemed daughter, son of the Most High God. That'll never change in all time or eternity. That's your identity. You see, the gospel of grace changes your identity. Grace changes everything. And so Paul didn't have to prove who he was he accepts who he is in this new identity. That's why he says in this letter, Paul and Timothy are writing this. Did, can we talk? Did Timothy write anything in this letter? Probably. No. Timothy was instrumental in planting the church in Philippi. He was an important person. But Paul brings Timothy in. He shares the glory. He shares the authority. Why? Because Paul's not trying to prove who he is. He knows who he is. A deeply beloved son of the most high God. Grace, when you let it percolate in your heart, will make you a servant. It will change your identity. Out of which life can flow. I'm not going to say this right, but my friend John Thurman often says that most people are running away uh, from things rather than running to what they really want to. That's not put as well as John Thurman puts it. But so many people are running. And we're intended to, to live out of our identity, not running away 
from the past or trying to fulfill ourselves to prove who we are. Paul was a servant. He had identity and he was made a saint. You see, grace also made us saints. He writes to the saints. You guys are all saints. You know that. Now, let me ask you this. Did any of you sin this morning before you got here? Good. Let's pass the mic. Uh, I want want examples. Of course, as Luther would say, in Christ, we're sinner saints, right? But the reality is we're saints. If you don't know Christ or you're here for the first time, somehow you got here, we're glad you're here. But the word saint might throw you a little bit because it might carry the idea. You think somebody who is a saint is somebody who managed to accrue enough goodness to offset their badness and impress God enough to say, well, you can become a Christian and come into my heaven. That's not what a saint is. A saint is somebody who knew they couldn't do anything on their own and went running to Christ who went to the cross and trusted him. That's what a saint is. A saint is, think a beloved, forgiven, redeemed child. That's why the gospel is so powerful because Christ did it all. Reformed theologians, I love this. They talk about the the active work of Christ and the passive work of Christ. The active work of Christ is that he fulfilled the law perfectly for us, didn't he? He did, perfect life. And then the passive work of Christ that he went to the cross and took our, our curse. It's, it, he did it all. We're just, we're forgiven. We're given peace with God. We have a new identity. We're saints. We're saints. And that is comforting. And you guys are better than you used to be, aren't you? I'm looking up here. I'm seeing my, I see you, Robert. Robert Drain is a friend of mine. I've known Robert for 32 years. I knew him before he was one of your elders. And Robert, you're better today than you were then. But it's not because he worked hard at it. It's because Christ has been at work in him. You see, growth and maturity in Christ comes as grace works in us. It sets us free. It sets us free from the past. It's not trying to be better and better so God will be impressed. It's being impressed with what Christ has done and we get better. Isn't it a wonderful thing? We know dirt on each other and he loves me anyway. But the reality is it's been the grace of God in Christ that continues to develop us. And Paul goes on. I want to say a couple more things. Some of you are looking at your watch. I'm going to be within the time frame. Hang in there. Grace comforts us so deeply. It makes us servants. It changes our identity. It makes us saints. Grace also turns us into a missional family. I love this. Verses six through eight. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time he thought of the Philippians, he got a smile on his face, even while he's sitting in prison. He thought, he thought about uh, Lydia down by the, by the waterside in Philippi when he first began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she's a, sell, a seller of purple. She's from Thyatira. And uh, Paul preaches the gospel and she becomes a Christian. And then she immediately comes to Paul and said, Paul, you got to start the first Presbyterian church of Philippi in my house. And Paul says, all right, I'm there. And he smiles when he thinks of that. And then he smiles when he thinks about the reality that one day as he was ministering in Philippi, there was this, this girl that was possessed by demons. She could, she could foretell people uh, future. They, they, she could say things and know new things 
that uh, others didn't know. Paul got tired of that, cast the demon out, and then Paul got beat up, put in prison. Remember the story? Acts, 13, Acts 16. Go read it. It's incredible. Paul's in prison. The earthquake. The Philippian jailer is about ready to, he draws the sword. He's going to kill himself because he's lost his prisoners, he thinks. Paul says, hey, we're still here. And then he remembers uh, how he brings the, the Philippian jailer to Christ, goes home, baptizes the whole family. And every time he thinks, he's smiling. Because, you see, what the gospel does is it turns us into a missional community. We hear that all the time, but the fact of the matter is that's true, isn't it? Why do you guys go to Mexico? Jesse, the warrior princess, my daughter, went with you uh, twice. She talks about Mexico all the time. She supports one of the guys. Why? Because you have to? No, because we look around this place and say, hey, you're in too? You're loved by grace too? Let's do something about it. And grace pulls us into a community like the church in Philippi and unleashes us out there. I smile when I think of Orangewood and the, the stuff I always tried to take out of your office to, to staff the office of a new church in a storefront on the northeast side of town. Allenson's trying to steal something again. Grace turns us into servants. It affects our identity. It makes us saints. It turns us into a missional community and it gives us hope. Verse six, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. This is one of my life verses. Because as I look at myself in the mirror and I think about the growth that I need to have and that I don't have sometimes, I grow so slowly. I think I should have gotten this, Lord, a long time ago. Then I go back to this verse. Being confident in this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, he's never going to give up on us. So what does grace do? It produces a deep comfort. And then quickly. I have one other point. Paul has one other point, and that is that grace energizes character in action. Um, I tell my seminary students in preaching a sermon that your points ought to be balanced. These are not balanced points. My first point was a lot longer than my second point. Um, but it's very important because what he says is that grace energizes character in action. And it is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound still more and more in all real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Because of grace, the deep comfort, grace energizes character, love. That's what he said. Love as the chief of all the virtues. And so Paul is saying, this is what I pray for you all the time because you are people of grace. I pray that your love may abound more and more, that you would be loving and that God would allow your love for other people to become more and more discerning. This is not Nicholas Sparks kind of love. If you've read any of those books, which I haven't. You've seen any of those movies, which I haven't. This is not emo-based love. The kind of love that he's talking about here is the kind of love that loves the unlovely, that deals with conflict, that accepts one another in the body of Christ. It's a discerning love. It's a deep love. And I was thinking, what am I going to say when I come to Orangewood? Because Orangewood is kind of a Philippian church. It's a good church. 
What do you say to a good church? Then the whole thought of Philippians came to my mind. Do what Paul did. He told them to let grace sink into their hearts. Let that fire continue to burn deeply to change their identity. And then as they continue to to let grace percolate into their being through the understanding of the gospel, challenge them to love others more and more and more. You're going to need that in the years and days ahead. Bob Goff's book, Love Does. Joe Manley's book, Love Works. I like that. I like that. So what does Paul say to the Philippians? I love you guys. You're a great church. Let grace sink down. Pray to love more. What does he say to us? What does he say to Orangewood? Can we talk? Okay. These are challenging times right now. Uh, my era of church planter probably didn't have to experience some of the things that our church pastors and planters have to experience today. It's tougher planting a church and being a pastor today. I want you to know. And there's conflict everywhere, and our culture isn't for us. And we expect it, don't we? We should. Because just because we have grace, it doesn't mean that the grace that we've been given doesn't mean that we're, we're not going to be in the midst of a battle. Paul's going to be talking about that in Philippians. He, see, he says, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. So this is a part of it. And, and, and so you're a Philippian church. I love you guys. You're a Philippian church. Let grace, here's the takeaway. Let grace continue to percolate in your heart and your mind. Let it set you on fire again. Let it rekindle your deep love for God, change your identity, make you a servant, help you understand you're a saint, build you, bind you together with others here. Even as you go through challenging times, love your pastors, love your staff, stick together, a discerning love. And, and then pray this prayer because I really believe it's more than 12 strong. See, what grace does is it builds hundreds strong. Hundreds strong. It is the grace of God that makes us strong. So if you don't know Christ and you're here for the first time, we're glad you're here. You want to see, see God's power at work? If you're, this is your first time here at Orangewood. You want to see power? You want to see how grace overcomes difficulty and the real world, stick around. You're going to see more than you ever expected. I believe the best days of Orangewood are ahead. By God's grace, which is here. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church, this pastor, these, this staff, these elders and deacons and these saints. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be your children at this point in history, at the beginning of the 21st century. Thank you for the joy of being here in the greater Orlando area at this point, at this time. And now we thank you for your grace and pray that it would permeate every one of our hearts, that you would receive honor and glory. Lord Jesus, for what you've done, for we pray in your strong name, Amen.